next speaker is called Meg Lafove, and she is a co-writer of the Academy Award winning film Inside Out. She has the ability to create heroes and heroines in her films, which can directly be related to athletes becoming heroes within sport. Dara Harris is the moderator and is a good friend of both Meg and Asset Leaders, and she is the medical director at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm going to play a short trailer in case you haven't seen the film. So, Riley, how was the first day of school? Fine, I guess. Did you guys pick up on that? Sure oh, did. Well. Something's wrong. Signal the husband. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. What did she say? Oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What is it, woman? What? Joy. This is sadness. That's anger. What? This is disgust. Uh, and that's fear. Ah! We're Riley's emotions. These are Riley's memories. They're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. I wanted to maybe hold one. What happened? Sadness. She did something to the memory. Is everything okay? I don't know. Take it back, Joy. Me. Joy, no. Let's wait. Go. The core memories. Ah! No, 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 no. Ah! <laughs> Can I say that curse word now? What do we do now? Nothing's working. Why isn't it working? We have a major problem. Oh, I wish Joy was here. We can fix this. We just have to get back to headquarters. That's long-term memory. You could get lost in there. Think positive. OK. I'm positive you will get lost in there. I looked out this morning. What was that? Was it a bear? There are no bears in San Francisco. I saw a really hairy guy. He looked like a bear. This place is huge. Imagination land? No way. Dream Productions? Rainbow Unicorn. She's right there. I loved you in Fairy Dream Adventure Part 7. Okay, bye. I love you. You can't focus on what's going wrong. There's always a way to turn things around. It's Broccoli. Congratulations, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. We are a bit untraditional <laughs> as a panel, um, and you may be wondering why a psychiatrist and a storyteller are up here together. But the idea is that story is the currency of our growth, that it both reveals and shapes our mindset. And one of the most interesting parts about becoming friends with Meg is starting to understand that story can be taught and improved. So what we're going to talk about today is if you think that the most effective treatment we have for nightmares is to imagine a different ending, our therapies for depression are based on changing your thoughts, then what happens if you take an athlete who's struggling with failure and you change the story, or you take a team and you help them to write a better narrative? So Meg has graciously agreed to let us pick her storytelling brain and talk about what are these essential elements of stories. So let's start with heroes. All right. 
How do you find a good one? Yes, hello. Hi, hello, <laughs> all everybody out there. Yeah, so how do you find, what are you looking for in a hero? Um, I would say the most crucial part of creating a protagonist or a hero of your story is that they're active. Um, young writers, and most of us, when you write your first draft, it's very easy and almost habitual to make your characters reactive. Um, so that, and I think this happens because we all psychologically and consciously believe that the world is happening to us versus we are creating our world. Um, so a reactive character is very boring and not that interesting because they're not driving their own story. And though, even though the character does not understand that they are creating their story, as a storyteller, I do understand that. And I understand that this script and this story does not move until the main character makes a choice and changes the story, and then there's a response. So the active versus reactive is, um, you know, and in, in, in I've done a little bit of research in resilience, and there's a very clear data that it's about context, right? You either believe that the circumstances are, your, are, are you, are your life, or you are literally, um, you, you yourself are creating the circumstances, or you yourself are creating your own life. Um, I'd say the other thing that people get stuck in with heroes is, especially for female characters, which is unfortunate, is victim power. Um, and victim power is incredibly dangerous uh, in writing a story. Um, if the power of the character is coming from being victimized, um, that creates a very boring narrative and actually a, a not a dynamic or interesting hero. Um, so victim power is incredibly dangerous. Um, the other important thing is that they have to want something. Yes. Deeply, primally want something um, because that's how you drive the story. That is the motivation for why they're going to make that choice and why they're going to move forward. If they don't want anything and they're just reacting to what everybody else wants, uh, it doesn't create any forward movement. Um, I think they have to have a spark of something to be a, a character. They ha that could be courage, that could be determination, that could be grit. They may not know that in Act One. They may not know it till the midpoint, but it is this unconscious thing that is starting to drive them. And, and, you might, and part of my job as a storyteller is to bring that up in them and to show them through the obstacles that they actually do have it. So that kind of spark of, of grit is needed. Um, most actors want a skilled hero of some kind. That skill could be, it doesn't have to look like a skill on the outside, but in fact it is. It could be a skill of avoiding intimacy and avoiding contact. That's a skill. You know, there's some sort of skill involved, and there's also a flaw. And I learned from working with Jodie Foster. I ran her company for many years. Um, as an actress, she never saw her character's flaw as something to cut off and reject and get rid of. She always saw her character's flaw as something positive that because she has been ignoring it or because she has not been accepting it or because she hasn't been using it, it has kind of inversed and become a flaw as a way to express itself. So for her as a character and as a hero, she sees the journey as the journey to uncovering that flaw, facing it, and transforming it back into its original energy, which is a strength. Um, and I would say the, one of the other last things that a hero needs is a mask. Um, all actors want to play multiple levels, and that's what's interesting about watching that mask come off. Now, again, that character as a person, as a character, may not know they have a mask, but we all have masks, right? We all present an identity, and most of us believe it is our identity, um, and it is part of our identity, but it's just part. 
It's what we're presenting to the world to keep us safe, right? And to keep us um, feeling powerful. But my job as a storyteller is to present that mask up front and then slowly through obstacles start peeling it away to get what's behind, which is where all the vulnerability is, but that's where all the juice and power truly lays. So that's, those are the elements of a hero. I think it's an interesting analogy to sports when you're talking about earlier they were saying how do you recruit really high-level athletes, and I think they are dealing with the mask. I was surprised to find you have 15 minutes with someone, and then you're going to pick. I mean, that's incredibly they're, small. They're just presenting, not consciously. Right. It's what everybody, human being, does. They're just presenting what they've created um, as, or a piece of themselves. So if the piece is getting behind that, is that what role the obstacles play? Like, how do you get beyond the mask? Yeah, I, the way I think about storytelling, this is just me, just how I create it, is um, I see Act 1, you're setting up a belief system. We all, are, we all have created belief systems about how we think the world works and who we think we are in that world. Um, those belief systems might come from your childhood, it might come from high school, it's probably a, a series of all of those things. Um, my job is to show that belief system to the audience because that's how the character sees the world and sees themselves. But there's a flaw in it. There's a part of it that's not right. Either they have outgrown that belief system, that belief system is not servicing them anymore. I often find with students, the thing that saved them as a child, that belief system, like mine, was to disappear. I had five brothers and sisters. It was the safest thing was to not be there. right? So my belief system was the way you're going to get through this and the way to stay safe is disappear. But what I have found over and over and over with working with students on their stories, but also with them personally, is that the very belief system that saved you as a child will kill you as an adult, right? Because it's still, it's still acting. It's still performing. It's still, because it thinks you will die if you don't disappear, in my case. It'll think I'll die. It doesn't understand death in any other way than I will die. But I'm a writer, and I'm, standing, I'm sitting here in front of how many people? I can't disappear anymore. If I want to actually be who I am and be my full self, I have to go against that belief system. And it's very, very hard. Imagine changing a brain's belief system of what will keep you alive. That's what I do as a writer. I present to you a character, and I say, to stay alive, this is how you do it. I present Joy. Joy believes for Riley to be, to be, to be all she can be, she must stay happy. And I prove that in the first act, because we're in Joy's point of view. And then the second act, or Nemo is another great one, right? You, you meet a father, and you watch the belief system form. He loses all of his children but one in a terrible trauma, because it's off the reef. So we understand the belief system. If you go off this reef, you're going to die. That is the belief system. And then through the rest of the movie, obstacles are a way to say, is that true? Is that true? Because you're off the reef and you're kind of doing okay. You're off the reef and you're not dying. You're not dying. You're not dying. You're okay. So obstacles, in one way, I use them to crack open the belief system so that a new belief system can form, which is based on what they've learned in Act 2. Um, I also see obstacles. Really, obstacles are just a way for you to check in as a person and as a character with where you are. What do you know and what don't you know? What are you good at? What are you not good at? So when you work at Pixar, the, 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 the theory and the practice is get it up fast and fail fast because that failure, that obstacle, is the thing we need. You, you go at notes. You ask for notes from 300 people every time because they want all of that feedback. They want you to make mistakes. They want experimentation. They want you to fail 
so that we can dig out the story and figure out what it is. It's the same with obstacles in the story. I'm transforming Joy by making her fail. I'm transforming her by having her make mistakes because that's how you change the brain. The brain only changes, tell me if I'm true or not, this is true or not, yeah. through experience. When I teach, I don't just talk because I'm not actually changing their brains. I have to make them do stuff. So that activity of those right. obstacles, those failures, those mistakes are about showing you where you are, what you know, what you don't know, your craft, um, it, it, you want it. I, it's, it is the tool of transformation. Um, and it's a very different way of thinking about feedback. So if the failure itself sets off psychologically the fear of death, then training an athlete to stay in that moment long enough to learn, I think is part of the stabilizing force that a coach has. So when I think about the brain's fear response and you know, the amygdala taking over, if a coach can be a co-pilot, then you stay in that beautiful, well-developed brain, the one that's like the rider throwing out the obstacles, and you use it as information instead of confirmation. And I think that's the biggest risk, is that if they keep looking at the failure as confirmation of who they are versus revealing something new they can do, something, a place they have to grow, some other thing like that. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's hard. You know, I'm not a coach, but I have kids, so it's kind of like coaching. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's very, very hard to stand in somebody's emotional breakdown, <laughs> right? Whether they're a toddler or they're a teenager or they're your husband, they're having an emotional moment. That's what this Inside Out is all about. And it's very hard just to let them have it. But I think it's crucial. I'm doing that to have my characters have those experiences because they have to push through the vulnerability to get to the power behind it of that crack of their brain. Um, you know, as a writer, I just, I tell other writers, but I think this is true of everybody, you know, if you want to grow and you want to get better, you have to find a way to become comfortable with vulnerability. Um, because to me, that's, that is the place that, it, that deep change, I don't mean surface change, I mean deep change happens. It makes me want to ask if that happens in sports. <laughs> like if the culture is there for that. Um, we're just learning how to do that in medicine, right, to look at failure in those pieces. Right. Now, do you, when you're crafting the obstacles, how do you pick the antagonist? How do you pick, or how do you find someone that's really going to reveal? Like, if we're talking about teams needing some conflict to have change, how do you find a good amount of conflict or another character that builds? Well, in storytelling, uh, when I worked with Jody. Uh, she said to me one day about a, a script we were developing for her to be the hero. She said, yeah, but why this antagonist? Why is this the antagonist, the only person in the whole world that is the right person to come and crack my character open? Why? And I was like, right, I don't know. Um, you know, we d you build the antagonist based on what you need your protagonist to learn. So sometimes in my life, I see that as when I have an antagonistic force in my life, I start to think, why are you here? <laughs> really, what do you need me to learn? Because I need to learn it. Um, and you'll keep getting it. Unfortunately, universe, if you don't learn right, yeah. it, then you, it'll just show up in a different form, right? Because I, I believe, you know, storytelling to me is um, changing a person's consciousness. There's something in their unconscious that they know um, is not right, that they need to grow. 
So act two is slowly bringing it up into their conscious mind, this new belief, this new way of looking at the world, or most importantly, themselves. How are they looking at themselves and their power and what they can do? Um, and how they're looking at obstacles. And then at the end of Act 2, it comes up into their conscious mind. At the point, at their lowest point, when you've stripped, you know, if you look at the hero's journey, the end of Act 2, about 90 minutes in, you stripped the character of everything. They've lost the goal, they've lost the love, they've lost the kid, they've lost everything. It's a death moment. And you have to, if you want deep change, there's going to be a death moment because it's the death of that old belief. It's the death of the old identity. It's the death of who you thought you were. Um, so that this new idea can come in of who you are and what your power is and what you can do. And then the climax of the movie is put that into action. Prove it. Prove through action that you have changed and this new belief system has formed. So the antagonist is the person who helps you transform. Somebody told me, I don't know if it's true, but in ancient Aramaic, the word for devil is rope. Because they're the rope, they're the bringer of light. I'm sorry, the ancient Aramaic, the word is bringer of light. In that, they are bringing consciousness to you in a really hard way. (laughs) True. But sometimes it takes that level of difficulty to truly change a person. So... They're bringing consciousness. So when Jody says, why this antagonist? It's because why is this the thing that is going to open up your mind and open up um, how you see the world in yourself? So when you're in a busy season and you're being hit with losses and other pieces, you can then, in this thinking, say, what has this revealed about us? Right. So if we're having this kind of experience or this athlete has this kind of injury, then the moment is actually to say, this experience is here for a reason. And then what does it have the potential what to... Does it have to t- why, why is it here? What does it have to tell you? Um, and it, might, it can be anything. You know, it, it could be about what your skill set is, what you don't know, what you're not good at yet. Um, but again, it, you're creating your life. You are, you are opening to that. You are staying present with it versus running from it. Um, because so much of telling a story is figuring out what does a character think keeps them safe and then force them into the opposite, right? So don't draft scared. That came up earlier too, right? <laughs> that you can't just think of what happened the last time and then think it's predictive. Yeah, in, in our business, that's called, uh, I, I call that giving scared notes. They're giving me notes on my story, not based on the story. They're giving them based on what uh, happened to another show or another movie, which is not going to give you a good story. You're going to have to go someplace different for that. Yeah. So what about the the notes, and how do you sift through what's good and what isn't good? Like you're talking about some of them are clearly fear-based, but you know, when you're listening to the notes, what's your internal gut check, do you think? Um, I guess my internal gut check with notes is that character's journey, and is this making our story better? Um, and, you know, is it make, my job is to beat the character up with a stick. I mean, my job is to make it as hard as possible on that character as I possibly can. You know, the more impossible the situation, the better. And working at Pixar, sometimes you feel like a character. I remember one day I just looked at my co-writer, Josh Cooley, and I was like, God, I hope this is the end of Act 2. I really hope this is the end of Act 2. Because if it's not the death moment, we are in deep crap. Because something really hard is coming. Um, it's just about, you know, somehow embracing that. Yeah. So then how do you think about your own journey and what you want 
And you know, if we're thinking about coaches and taking control of a narrative, finding your why and your what, because this has also been a personal journey for right. you. Um, and you were something else before, right? You were a producer before. I was a producer. Yeah, I transformed myself. Everybody told me I was crazy. Um, you know, when I got to go work at Pixar, it was my dream. It was my beacon. Um, and I had worked for years to get there. Um, and every, everybody told me it was impossible. And then, I don't know, I think, and maybe it's different for athletes because you have to work so hard to get anywhere. But, you know, as a writer, you're working hard, too, just with your brain. Um, I got there, and after four days, I came home and said, I have to quit. It's way too hard. It's way too hard. I, I, I can't even, I was laying on my living room carpet. Like, I can't do it. It's so hard. Because um, the bar was so high. And I couldn't find a vision of myself that could hit that bar. I couldn't find the story that I hit that bar. I couldn't find the context that I hit that bar. It was just such a huge gap. And my husband looked down at me, and he's a big baseball fan, and he said, honey, why did you think when you got to the major leagues it was gonna get easier? And I was like, oh right, shit. <laughs> And, uh, but in a weird way, it gave me the bar, the context I needed, the story I needed to get up and go again and try again because this is what I wanted. And if I want myself to grow and change and get better, I need this level of challenge. And clearly the universe has said I'm ready for it because it's stuck me here. And I had another day walking in the building, just another hard day. Again, because the bar was so high, you know, how many Academy Awards and... Um, it's very <laughs> crazy. Um, I, in my head, I'm like, okay, universe, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Because, and, and I just heard, I just thought, oh, they need, you know, what, what do I need to learn from this? this is, there's a lot of conflict. There's not conflict, but, you know, challenge coming, a lot of obstacles. What do I need to learn from these obstacles? And then I just realized, oh, no, no, they need me, which was another huge context change, which is, again, I was reacting to Pixar as if it was something happening to me that I had to respond to and do something with. And I was living a lot of my life that way, right? But you can't write deeply from that place. I had to go and shift the entire context back to I'm the center of this. I have chosen to be here. I am choosing to be here every day. And any day, I can just choose not to be here. And if I'm choosing to be here, why am I here? What do I want to get out of this? Why am I doing this? You know, it's right. just I, I, that flip in context. And, uh, you know, I have to do it repeatedly in my brain. But um, like right now, <laughs> why am I here? Um, because I'm choosing to be here. And because I asked her all really nicely. And, um, uh, no. Uh, so I, that, that was the, it, it's always trying to find that new story to tell yourself. And I think the piece that I've liked about it, watching this journey too, is that of course it's hard. Um, of course it's hard. That you're here, and if you weren't at your edge, then it wouldn't be hard. And I think that's one of the hardest things when I work with medical students, and that's who I end up coaching, is that if you aren't at your learning edge, it will be easy. Um, and so flipping that brain mechanism so that you are looking for the obstacle, I think is the opportunity of a reframe and a different kind of mindset for, for athletes Yeah, and I, and I think in terms of being a coach or being a, uh, and, and I teach a lot, is um, I, I sometimes read a script and then I'm supposed to give the person notes. I'm supposed to t coach them on how to make their script better. 
And I have a huge skill set. I know a lot. They're usually in their 20s. I have a life experience. I have a huge skill set. And I know in my head immediately, oh, you know, this, this is a story about two brothers and this father character, he's really, he's flat, he's cliche, let's, let's cut him out, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Okay, there's a movie. But I never, ever, ever walk in and sit down with that, that student or that writer and just go, okay, this is what you need to do, this, blah, 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 because it's their story. And I know that if I first listen and just ask a lot of questions, they will tell me their story, at least their, or their mindset. They tell me a lot, actually. They tell me so much. <laughs> way more than you need. <laughs> no, but in the, I mean that in a really positive way. They tell me, like, for example, this one about the two brothers and the father character. I would have cut the father character out, but the more I talked to him about why he loved this story, why was he a writer, what about this story, what was his favorite scene, you know, just digging up what, what drove him to write the story, what was that push, what was that thing that got him through all these hard drafts, and I suddenly realized, oh, this is about the father. His brain is so afraid of all the juice in that character and all the conflict and all this stuff that it just flattened it out. You know, it just, it just said, yeah, don't look over there. Yeah, just totally don't look over there. That, don't even look at that guy. And I was like, I think we got to go look at that guy. Because everything you're talking about, it's that guy. The movie and all the juice of this movie and all the power of the movie is sitting with the father and the son, not the brothers. So let's go look over there. And it's very frightening. I ask them to get very vulnerable and then get really angry. And then I'm like, ooh, you're now angry. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. <laughs> you're having a huge reaction to this. Um, so the, but they also tell me how they hide from story, how, how they, when they feel vulnerable as a storyteller, they can tell me and just how they're responding to me how their brain works and their, what their mechanism is to avoid all of that emotional vulnerability. I just worked with this guy, and he was avoiding it by being really, really smart. His intellect was so sharp that he could distract you with incredibly intellectual conversations, except that's not what I asked you. What I asked you is, what makes you feel in this movie? What I asked you was, was to talk about your emotions. To talk about what you love in this. I, you're, I didn't talk about New York in the 1972, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so he used his intellect to escape. Some people use humor. Suddenly I'm like laughing hysterically, and then I'm like, wait a minute. We're not talking about what makes you, no, let's go back to what makes you feel vulnerable. So a lot of what I do is helping people, I have to identify, I have to listen, and then I help them identify for themselves. Do you see that you're doing that? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, and then they do it again. I'm like, did you see that you just did it? Did you see that you just did it? Because their brains can't quite catch that they're doing it because it's all unconscious. It's, I have, as a writer, you have to lean in to what makes you uncomfortable and vulnerable. I, you know, I tell writers, if at some point in writing your script you don't feel like you're going to throw up because it's pushing so deeply into something, then you're not on it. You're just not on it. Um, I don't remember what the original question was. <laughs> no, it's this piece, I think, that... So much of life ends up being hiding, and then it ends up being busy. And one of the things that's interesting, and that that's you how are I saying, hide. I get really, really busy. Yes, I am important. way too busy to deal with any of that emotional, psychological stuff. Right. I like intellectualization, <laughs> not surprisingly. Um, but that piece, the concrete tool, though, of following awkward or following avoidance, is I think a big tool that you can actually use. So when you're sitting there and you're caught up 
in the season that's happening to you. It's to create the space for awareness and then like the design thinking, find the problems, find the thing that you're avoiding um, and then use that.